0: Rooted week nine, why and how should I tell others? Weekly memory verse, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. First Peter 315. Day one, getting the word out. Some things about being a Christian seem to get easier and more natural the longer we have known Jesus, reading the Bible, going to church, praying out loud. However, one area that usually doesn't get easier and may even become harder is sharing our faith. For many of us, no matter how long we have known Jesus, the thought of telling people about him sends a shiver down our spines. Why is that? We know we should tell our story of faith, but for a variety of reasons, we don't. Maybe it's fear of rejection, awkwardness of spiritual conversations with those who believe differently from us, anxiety of being asked questions we can't answer, feeling too busy to get involved in someone's life, worry about whether our lives match up to Christian standards, having no real relationships with people outside the faith. Believe it or not, God has actually equipped us perfectly to effectively share our story with others. If you are a Christian, you have a story, and God has placed you where you are to share that story for his purpose and plans. In the next few days, we will discover how to share the good news, why Jesus wants us to do it, and how he has given each of us a unique story and opportunity to make an impact. But how do we do that? Earlier in his ministry, Jesus gave a couple of helpful metaphors to help us understand how to make an impact on others. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew five thirteen to 16 Jesus spoke to his disciples, many of whom were oppressed, poor, marginalized, and ashamed, To this group, Jesus made a staggering statement You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The crowd may have reacted with You're kidding, right? Are you sure you have the right group? We have no connections, no political clout, and no money. To understand the power of Jesus' words, it's important to understand something about salt and light in those days. Salt was much more than a spice. Without refrigeration or modern antiseptics, salt was a valuable commodity. It was used as a preservative to keep food, many times in short supply, from going bad. Also in that area of the world, salt had medicinal value, as it was mined from the mineral-rich Dead Sea, and was effective in healing wounds and stopping infection. In ancient times, salt, or the lack of it, could drastically affect the health of entire populations. Jesus' point is that in a world that is decaying and unhealthy, those who are salt are the hope of preservation and healing. However, salt is only potent when it comes into actual contact with that which it is preserving or healing. It has to be rubbed into the food or sprinkled over the wound to be effective. To be the salt, we have to be in regular, close contact with the people we want to impact. Who is in your life, right now, who doesn't know Jesus? Perhaps it is someone at work, school, in your family, or your neighborhood. You may think, I am so inexperienced in sharing my story, someone else could do it better. But You are the one who is in close contact with them. You are the salt. For others, the challenge is to interact with those who don't know Christ at all. Sometimes, as Christians, we can find ourselves in a holy huddle, surrounding ourselves with people who believe like we do. One way to get into contact with people who have a different view of Jesus is to do something we share in common with them, whether it's sports, coffee drinking, school booster club, whatever. By sharing our common interests, we are able to develop a friendship and talk about other things. What do you do that holds common interests across spiritual lines? The key is to be intentional, but also authentic in our relationships. A spiritual conversation, or an opportunity to tell our stories of faith, can develop naturally. Jesus' audience was also well aware of the importance of light. We may take light for granted, because in our day, with the flip of a switch, light comes easily. But obviously, back then, light was fleeting. Jesus' point is that for a dark world, the only hope is those who shine light. Jesus uses illustrations to drive home his point about light and its strategic placement. One has to do with a city built on a hill. In those days, cities were often built on hills because it made them appear more impressive and easier to defend. Additionally, when someone lit their house lamp, they would place it in the most strategic place in the house. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are the light of the world, and you are strategically placed. You may not like where you live, or that there is nothing strategic about your job, or that the school you go to is random. But the reality is that God has strategically placed you there to have an impact. Nearly every person who did something noteworthy in the Bible probably had feelings of randomness. As Joseph sat in prison, or Moses tended sheep in the desert, or Esther was enslaved in a harem in a foreign land, or Ruth picked up leftover wheat in a stranger's field, they might not have felt so strategically placed. Yet God used all of them to have huge spiritual impacts in the places he set them. It's the exact same thing with us. God has set us right where we are, for a reason. There is another person who will not think you are randomly placed, the person you impact. You may think your involvement in your coworker's life is totally inconsequential, but if she moves closer to Jesus because of God's work through you, she will never see your placement as random. What may feel random to you could be the most important thing that could ever happen to the person you impact. Every person in the world has a sphere of influence. Whether you know it or not, The people you come in contact with are impacted by the way you live think and believe as christians our purpose is to love those people the way jesus loves them with generous compassion scandalous grace and undeniable truth whether you work in the medical field a classroom politics or homeschool your children wherever you spend your time god wants to work through you to preserve what is good to heal what is broken and to shine light into a dark world daily response. What's the biggest challenge you face in telling your story with someone? If you are a Christ follower, have you ever shared your faith story with someone else? If you've done so, how did it go? If you haven't, why not? Who are three people in your life that don't know Jesus? Ask God to give you opportunities to share your faith with those three people this week you couldn't hear you couldn't see me I crashed around day two God's story. What is God's story of salvation? Or, put another way, how can we explain to someone what it means to be a Christian? Let's look at what the Bible teaches about how one becomes a Christ follower. There are many misconceptions about what makes someone a Christian. Some think it has to do with living in a Christian nation, such as America. Some think it has to do with being religious, keeping certain rules and rituals, or going to church, Others believe it has to do with believing in God and being the best person you can be. Others may think it has to do with praying a prayer to accept Jesus at some point in your life and intellectually agreeing with the statement, Jesus died for your sins. None of these are entirely correct, although there is truth in some of them. How does the Bible explain what someone needs to know, believe, and do to be saved? There are four parts to God's story of of salvation. Part 1. Perfect Creation As we discussed in the second week of Rooted, our story starts at the beginning of the Bible with the creation of the world. In Genesis, we saw God created the world to be perfect. He made a beautiful earth with a great variety of wondrous animals and plants, and spectacular natural wonders sitting in a mysterious and vast universe. At the center of his creation, he made human beings, the crown of his creation. God's plan was for humans to live in perfect harmony with him, with each other, and with the earth. He also originally designed people to have harmony within their souls, peace, joy, and purpose. The Hebrew word for this perfect state is shalom, meaning harmony, peace, and holistic well-being. The shalom was present and intended in all relationships, with God, with creation, and with each other. Part 2. Terrible Fall Then trouble came to paradise. Instead of happily living in the perfect garden God established, Adam and Eve decided to break the one boundary God had given them. God told them they could eat from every tree but one. He wanted them to have a choice in their obedience so they could freely choose to follow. Instead, they decided they didn't want to follow God or submit to his rule. The real rebellion was not that they ate a piece of fruit, but that they turned from God with an attitude that said, I know what you want me to do, but I don't trust you, so I'm going to do this my way. This rebellion, called sin, had immediate and lifelong dire consequences. With their relationship with God broken, the Bible records that every part of Adam and Eve's lives were, were infected. It was like a disease that spread through their lives and to their descendants. Suddenly there was shame, blame, and power struggles in their relationships with each other. The earth was cursed and became difficult to work with and manage, in the inner state of well being, peace, purpose, and joy, evaporated from their souls. Sadly, human history is the story of coping with sin and its consequences. Sin is the natural bent we have to be independent and disobedient to God, selfish, envious, judgmental, and unmerciful in our relationship with others, careless and greedy in our treatment of the earth, and undisciplined, indulgent, insecure, and immoral in our own souls, Collectively, humanity's sin continually fills the earth with hatred, violence, racism, sexism, corruption, immorality, injustice, and oppression. This is not what God intended. While there are still redeeming qualities about us, we are, after all, made in God's image, the Bible tells us sin is embedded in our very nature. If our trouble with it is not resolved, we will forever be separated from God and the life he has for us. This, the Bible says, is death. Part 3 God's Solution There is something in us that says it should be better than this, right? We believe that we should be able to fix these problems with education, money, religion, government, and morality. We try and try, and still the world, our relationships and our souls are a mess. The harder we try, the worse it gets. The Bible tells us we can't fix it because the root problem is inside us. We need the solution that only God can give. The Bible story pivots when Jesus Christ enters the world. Jesus was 100% human, 100% God. He taught what life in God was supposed to look like and showed how to love people with wisdom, compassion, and selflessness. However, the most important thing Jesus did was to die on a cross as a sacrifice for our sin. Jesus' death and subsequent resurrection is the historic hinge upon which a relationship with God is based. When we understand, believe in, and accept what Jesus did for us, several good things happen for us. The fact that Jesus died for our sins means our penalty for spiritual treason is pardoned and we now are in good standing with God. Our relationship with him has been restored. It also means God sends his Holy Spirit to live inside us to guide and empower us. Further, because Jesus rose from the dead, he is alive today and still working to bring shalom back to our relationships with others, our care for the earth, and the health of our souls. This is the heart of the gospel. Committing to Jesus involves your mind, your heart, and your will. First, there needs to be the intellectual understanding that Jesus died for your sins. Second, embrace Jesus with your whole heart. Accept his love for you and pour out his love to others. Finally, allow the Holy Spirit to work in you, to love others as yourself, and to do as Jesus asks. None of us does this perfectly, but we commit to be all in. Part 4. Partners in Restoration Now that Jesus has come into our lives and is working in us, he has called us to partner with him in bringing restoration to others and to the world. We join Jesus in his mission to draw others to himself, to bring harmony to human relationships, to help move the world back toward beauty, and to aid people in finding peace, joy, and purpose in their souls. That, in short, is God's story of salvation, his good news. Knowing these four pieces of God's story makes it easier to communicate to others the way he has set up salvation and how they can begin writing their own God story. In the next couple of days, we will work to understand where these four parts fall in our lives and begin to write out our stories of God. Daily Response What do you think of God's story? Are there any parts you disagree with, or are there any parts that confuse you? Explain. Do you think you could write down from memory the major point of each of the four parts? If you have heard the story of God before, either as a child or in a different context, how was it explained to you? How does it relate to what you read today? Write a prayer that captures your thoughts about God's story and what it looks like in your life. the drowned out your soul You said love You Day three. Your Story, Part 1. Yesterday, we looked at the story God has written in history. Today, we are going to look at how your story fits into God's continuing epic story and how to communicate it to others. In the passage we call the Great Commission, Jesus expects us to go out and make disciples. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." Matthew to 20 Perhaps when you heard that one of the experiences in Rooted would be to tell your story to someone who doesn't know Jesus, you weren't exactly thrilled. But we are told to be intentional about going into the world and making disciples, So what does that look like in our culture, in our society, and, more specifically, in our own lives? The most effective way of communicating the work of Jesus in someone's life is by the evidence of transformation of that life, either through actions and lifestyle or in telling of that transformation in words. The sharing of one's life story is the most effective way to share the transforming power and salvation offered through Jesus Christ. However, telling our stories can still cause anxiety, especially if we have never organized our thoughts in a way that makes telling it easy. That's what we will do this week. We will create a way to capture your faith journey in such a way that makes it easy to share, relevant to the person you are talking to, and compels him or her to move toward Jesus. Before we move on, it is important to be clear on a particular point. While we are the messengers and we express the message in an understandable and compelling way. It is not our job to save anybody. God does that. He works in the hearts of people, and it is the work of the Holy Spirit to move them to the decision point of committing to following Jesus. Sometimes our role in someone's faith journey may be the open door, the first time they have ever considered a place for Jesus in their lives. Others may have been thinking about it for a while, and we provide that next stepping stone in their journeys. Others may be ready to commit, and we may have the privilege of praying with them and celebrating that life-transforming decision. Your story has three key elements, before, prior to becoming a follower of Christ, commitment, your decision to follow Christ, and after, how you live your life differently. Today, we will focus on the before part of your story. A great example of someone sharing his faith through his personal story is in Acts 26. Paul had been imprisoned for causing trouble and for inciting riots, and was brought before King Agrippa, the man with an infamous list of ancestors. His great-grandfather tried to kill Jesus as a baby, his grandfather had John the Baptist beheaded, and his father had martyred the first apostle, James. The king was a man whose family history made him unlikely to receive Paul warmly. As he stood before Agrippa, Paul decided to present the gospel through his life story. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa... I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today, as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country, and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time, and can testify, if they are willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our twelve tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests i put many of the lord's people in prison and when they were put to death i cast my vote against them many a time i went from one synagogue to another to have them punished and i tried to force them to blaspheme i was so obsessed with persecuting them that i even hunted them down in foreign cities acts 26 1-11 this is the before part of paul's story he explains who he was and how he spent his time and energy Obviously, Paul doesn't tell his whole life story, but he frames his story with who he was, what his values were, what some of his actions were like, and where he was spiritually. He was succinct, but you get a real feeling of where he was before he met Christ. Additionally, he told his story as it was relevant to Agrippa. So, too, our stories include elements that are relevant to different people and their circumstances. As God leads, we can tailor our stories so they resonate with whom we are speaking. daily response your story before who were you before you committed your life to Christ or who are you today if you haven't committed yourself to Christ while everyone's before looks different typically there are similarities in the way we lived our lives and how we felt during this time take the next several minutes to write out what your life looked like during your before Don't hold back specific situations, experiences, or emotions that come up as you write. Make sure you include where you were spiritually. Take as much time as you need. We will edit this part later. You may want to use some of the following questions as you recall and capture this part of your life. What was your lifestyle like? With whom were you socializing? What were your activities with them? What were your emotions in your day-to-day life? How did you deal with challenges, setbacks, and crises? What did you feel was lacking in your life? What were your hopes and dreams? What did your relationships look like? Where did you turn for help or advice? How did you satisfy your inner needs? Loneliness, fear of death, insecurity, etc. Were there any consequences you were dealing with for your actions, decisions, or choices? Where were you spiritually? Pray that God would help you remember important parts of your story. Pray also that he will give you courage and boldness when the opportunity comes to tell your story. Day 4. Your Story, Part 2. As we left Paul's story yesterday in Acts 26, he had begun to tell his story to King Agrippa. After telling of his life before his conversion, he transitioned to how he met Christ. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, "'Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads.' Then I asked, "'Who are you, Lord?' "'I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting,' the Lord replied. "'Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles.' I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Acts 26.12-18 This is the commitment part of Paul's story. At that point, his name was still Saul. This is when Jesus came to him. Paul explained exactly what that meeting was like, what he heard, what he saw, and how he reacted The more honest and transparent you are in telling how you came to Christ, the more powerful it tends to be. As you prepare this part of your story, simply recount the events and circumstances that caused you to consider Christ as the solution to your searching. Take time to identify the steps that brought you to the point of trusting Christ. It may be that you were taken to church by a friend and heard a message, or someone told you his or her story and you related to him or her, or maybe you had been searching for something that was missing in your life and discovered Jesus another way. If you have not yet committed your life to Christ, consider where you are and what questions you have that you can share with your group this week. Take several minutes and write this portion of your story. Again, don't hold back emotions that come up as you remember your personal situation. Remember as many details as you can. This is where you are telling about Jesus and what he did for you. Be sure to include these key elements. How you came to terms with the sin in your life. When did you finally understand you were separated from God? What made you realize you needed God in your life? When did you realize you needed forgiveness and had to change the way you were living? Be honest with the doubts, excitement, or other feelings you had as you were presented with a relationship with Jesus Christ. How did you actually invite Jesus into your life? Quietly in your heart, praying aloud, going forward in a church service over a period of time in one sudden, emotionally packed moment? Did it happen during a rooted experience? Was there anyone else prominently involved in your becoming a Christian? Did you get baptized right away? If you haven't been baptized, you'll have the chance to at the end of Rooted. Paul concludes his story with the after or since portion of his life. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and, as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Acts 26.19-23 After Paul presented his story, you may think King Agrippa was won over and committed his life to Christ immediately, but not quite. Look at what the king says. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul's response, Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Paul did his part. He told his whole story, and then he committed to pray for his listeners and their decision about Christ. That is what we are asked to do. Tell our story and pray for those who hear it. Daily Response Your Story After Take several minutes and write down what your life has been like since you made your commitment to follow Jesus. Try to capture how Christ is meeting your needs and what a relationship with him means to you now. Take as much time and space as you need and don't hold back feelings or emotions that may come up. You may want to consider these questions as you write this portion of your story. How has Christ made a difference in your life? How has his forgiveness impacted you? How have your thoughts, attitudes, and emotions changed? What has changed in your relationships with others? How does your faith in Jesus affect your hopes and dreams? Where do you see yourself as part of God's plan to restore the world back to how he created created it in the first place? If this part of your story is incomplete, you may want to spend time praying about it and recognize there is another chapter in your life that is yet to be written. But don't let that keep you from sharing your faith journey up to this point. After you have written all three parts of your story, you might need to edit it as as you may have only a few minutes to tell it when the opportunity arises. Look at each section of your story and try to edit each part down to a paragraph of six to ten sentences. As you practice your story, use a timer and keep it to two minutes. Don't eliminate the passion or emotion from your story and don't skip the parts about commitment, acknowledging the need for Christ, receiving his forgiveness, and accepting the Holy Spirit into your life. Try to take out any Christianese or church words and phrases as these can alienate your audience or at the very least confuse them or keep them from identifying with your life. For example, words like born again, gospel, and repent. Replace them with words that are more relatable and conversational. You don't want to sound judgmental or alienating. Now you should have a three-paragraph summary of your faith journey that is easy to remember and easy to tell. How do you feel about telling your story to others? How does this affect how you think about evangelism? Write a prayer, telling God your feelings after writing out your whole story. Day 5, Time to Tell. Earlier this week, we talked about salt and light, and we will continue to look at that today with this verse in mind. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew five sixteen. If we are going to be salt and light, we are to do something. It is not enough to have good intentions, or to talk about it, or even just to pray about it. Jesus wants us to move. What is it he wants us to do? We need to be intentional and sometimes even strategic. This isn't to mean we manipulate relationships or actions with evangelism as our only intent. That's not it at all. But we may need to be a little more purposeful in sharing our stories with those with whom we come in contact. God is working all around us, and if we are paying attention, we can join him in his work. The Holy Spirit can move us into places or situations to plant spiritual seeds and walk with people on their spiritual journeys. Time and again, Jesus modeled this for us in the New Testament. Jesus has called us to show both grace and truth to people. We must remember that having an impact in someone's life is holistic. It requires seeing and interacting with people in their entirety and knowing they move forward spiritually at their own paces and in their own ways. Jesus had the uncanny ability to meet people at their point of need. Sometimes it was obvious, like when a blind man needed sight, or a dead little girl needed to be raised to life. But other times the need was subtler. Take the need—take the need. Zacharias, excuse me. Take the need. Zacchaeus, the much maligned tax collector, had in Luke 19. Though wealthy, Zacchaeus was shunned by the religious establishment and many of his fellow Jews. He was isolated and shamed. Jesus recognized this about Zacchaeus and met him right where he was. One day, Jesus called Zacchaeus out of a crowd and honored him by having dinner at his house. He knew that was exactly what Zacchaeus needed and how it would draw him closer to God. On another occasion, a leper came to Jesus and asked to be healed, Matthew 8. Jesus could easily have have healed him with just a word, but he chose to heal the man with a touch. The touch was significant. Because leprosy was considered highly contagious and made someone unclean, Jesus' touch may have been the first one this man had felt in months or years. It was exactly what he needed. Jesus also knew how to build good friendships. He realized people weren't targets to be converted, but potential friends with whom he could interact, work alongside, and enjoy. Jesus built significant friendships with his disciples, with many of the women who were also his disciples, scandalous for a rabbi, with Lazarus and his two sisters and many others. Jesus gave his friendship, time, and emotional energy. Finally, Jesus knew how to move people toward God. Whether it was gently nudging them with a question or two, or being more direct with commands and challenges, Jesus was a master at helping people take their next step with God. Consider how Jesus helped the woman at the well grasp who he was in John 4, how he challenged Nicodemus, a Pharisee, with questions in John 3, Or how he confronted Peter after Peter had denied him in John 21. Each of these approaches hit their mark and helped the person progress toward a vibrant relationship with God. Whether Jesus was meeting needs, making friends, or moving people toward God, in all cases he had real spiritual impact, and there is no reason we can't do the same. Where is God giving you these opportunities? Ask God to show you those around you who do not know him and ask for the opportunity to share your faith. We should always be looking for places around us where we can meet people at their point of need, whether it is helping them deal with sickness, helping them get their children home from school, or taking a little extra time to listen to someone explain a problem. We make a strong statement about how much we care. There is nothing that opens people up to a relationship like having a felt need met by someone who cares about them. One of the primary reasons God calls his followers to be extraordinarily caring people is because acts of mercy open up people's hearts like nothing else can. Put another way, there's tremendous pulling power in the expression of even a single act of kindness, and God wants that power to draw people toward the reality of his son, Bill Hybels, becoming a contagious Christian. Here's the other thing about meeting a need. There are plenty. All we have to do is look around. The reason we often miss these opportunities is because we are either too busy or too focused on our own agenda. If you are having trouble identifying needs around you, which you can help, consider taking a day or part of a day and asking God every 15 to 30 minutes to show you a need you can meet. You will be surprised by how many opportunities God brings your way. In some cases, meeting the need of a person will naturally lead to creating or deepening a friendship. You may get to finally meet the neighbors you never got around to introducing yourself to. You may connect with a coworker on a deeper level than water cooler talk. There may be someone God wants in your life, as much for his or her spiritual journey as for yours. Remember, we are on a quest to make friends to save people. Open your heart and your life to someone, and then let God do the heavy lifting. We are called to be Jesus' ambassadors in a broken world. And the best way for us to fulfill that calling is to reach out and care for those around us. Moving someone toward Jesus doesn't always mean you have to share the four chapters in God's story or tell your whole story chronologically, but at some point it is important that people see you as more than a really considerate person or a really good friend. The purpose of shining our light is so your friend will glorify your Father in heaven. The greatest gift you can ever give someone who doesn't yet know Jesus is an introduction to him. You don't want to leave someone guessing as to who Jesus is or how he or she can connect with him. Don't worry about finding the perfect time to tell someone about Jesus. You don't have to force Jesus into the conversation. Just be open and ready to have conversations when God provides the right opportunity. Share with others why your life looks different or why you have such hope. As Christ followers, it's impossible for us to separate doing good and the hope we have from our relationship with Jesus, so conversations about him and how he changed our lives will oftentimes just come naturally. As we tell our story to others, it's important to remember it's not about us. It's not about how we are changed, but how God, through the saving grace of his Son, changed us. When we tell our story, we tell the story of God. Peter gives us advice when it comes to sharing our story. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. 1 Peter 3:15 to 16. Daily response. Do you have opportunities in your life to meet the needs of others? Have there been opportunities to tell your story of faith in these situations? If not, how can you challenge yourself in this? Remember the three people you have been praying for. Share your story of faith with them in a way that is relevant and succinct. Pray about someone you can invite to the next session of Rooted. How can you tell him or her how Rooted has impacted or changed you? Thank Jesus for the way he met your needs, became a friend to you, and moved you spiritually. Ask God to help you tell your story this week. Shed tears and shed blood. He always crushed her